Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. The industry has a lot of work yet to be done before we are seeing ordering of product in a mass fashion in the e-commerce channel. I do think it's going to emerge faster in the ordering online from your local liquor store and it being delivered to your house in the next hour. I think we're getting much closer to that space Mm. than truly being able to use e-commerce to find those rare special things that you want to get in our case with bourbons. That is still a little trickier, but we all wish we had more bourbon. Don't we all? Yeah. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, part of your family is in the business together, right? Yes, if you're a man. Oh, that was the exact story with my family business. Tell me more about yours. So my great-great-grandfather was Henry Modell, and he had two children, Bill Modell and Doris Modell. And Doris married a guy named Norman Tippograph. So those are my grandparents. And Henry pretty much said to my grandma, you're not going to be able to touch this business. It's going to your brother, Bill. Listen, probably changed the course of my life. Happy with how everything is shaked out, but uh, that happened Doris is 97 alive. So that probably happened, uh, you know, 70 years ago. Wow. One second. Is that Model Model? Yeah. Model Sporting Goods. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can certainly tell you that my family business is not nearly as well known. Was Model's known outside of the Northeast? No. So we only, it's, by the way, Nodell's went out of business. Oh no, that I know. <laughs> so it's not a successful story anymore. We had stores only in the Northeast area. I got to go to Moe's. At least I did at some point, especially when they were closing and everything was on sale. But mm-hmm. um, no, my family business uh, is an insurance, a very high involvement category growing up. It was very hard to explain what my father did for a living because I didn't. How do you explain insurance to a child? My grandfather started the business after coming to the States post Holocaust and it went to my father and his brother, but not his sister. Then it went to, and my father is still there. My brother is there. I interned there one summer, but I was told I would not have a job when it was time for employment. And now one of my cousins works there. Yeah. Well, very different from the folks at uh, Heaven Hill. I know. And so Kate Latz is part of the family business. It's amazing how many generations this business has been passed hands through and how relevant it remains. And unlike, well, maybe mine was a fairly good dinner party story. You know, she got to go, go around town growing up saying that, you know, her grandfather and dad make alcohol for a living. Yeah. I'm not saying my father and grandfather didn't make alcohol, just not for a living. (laughs) Touche. But it's amazing. You know, 
how does a company that's family run not only stay relevant in terms of culture, product innovation, but also, you know, transformation of marketing, consumer delivery fulfillment, and Heaven Hill Brands, the living case study of really being at the forefront of all of these changes. And also opening the minds beyond the non-events adhere system that typically plagues family businesses. The fact that they've made some serious acquisitions, especially in the recent past and diversifying beyond their core is a sign of open-mindedness and willingness to try new things. I was really happy that you were able to convince her to come on the program. Well, on that note, please uh, grab some deep Betty vodka and join us as we listen to this amazing family story. Kate, I feel like I should be drinking bourbon right now. Oh, it's a little early for bourbon, but <laughs> you know, there, there's a drink like a, I think it's called a Bloody Maria that has um, bourbon in it. So we could all grab one of those. That would be fun. I love that. That'll be my Saturday morning drink. Nice. Well, Kate, I'm so excited to have you because Heaven Hill is a, a really unique player within the space. You're a third generation family owned business. You're the fifth largest within the category. How does a company that's been around for so long stay relevant? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to participate in this. This is going to be super fun. And I am part of the third generation of Heaven Hill, which has been around for over 85 years. My grandfather and his brother started the business just after Prohibition in 1935. So yes, we indeed have been around for a very long time. And when I think about, you know, how we've succeeded, I think there's three main things that I believe to be important for almost any business or really person. And those are authenticity, relationships, and being nimble. And I can speak for a few minutes on each one of those. From an authenticity perspective, my grandfather and his brother started the company with a lens of authenticity straight away. You know, it was right after Prohibition. There had been a lot of bad whiskey in the marketplace during Prohibition as people were smuggling things on the black market and so forth. And my dad talks about how it was more risky than any venture capital private equity move of today in that they were investing in a business that had no brand, no inventory, and it was the middle of the depression. And nonetheless, they waited for four years to get a product that they felt good about to actually sell. And that was in 1939 when we released the old Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Bottled and Bond was sort of like the good housekeeping seal back then. And it was the start of the importance of authenticity in the company that continues on today and all the products that we put into the marketplace. And we want to be true to what those products are. The second thing is around relationships. And straight away we knew that the importance of building a distributor network and building relationships with our customers. And we maintain that as one of our secret sauces today. We are now in the midst of some of our distributor customer relationships are in their third generations. So maintaining those great relationships has been another key part of our maintaining relevance. And then the third thing, which we really pride ourselves on and a key differentiator from some of the companies that much bigger than us in the industry is our ability to be nimble. We have over the years continued to be nimble in terms of our portfolio, what we're selling, where we're selling them, how we're communicating about them. And because we are so passionate about what we do, 
we are constantly surveying the marketplace, constantly wanting to understand the consumer, constantly wanting to understand what our customers need. And it allows us to know how those consumer tastes are changing and evolve our portfolio accordingly. For the first 35 years of the company, we really were focused on American whiskey. And when my father came to the business in 1970, he recognized the consumer tastes were changing and that the company needed to diversify beyond American whiskey. And it was at that point that we really started taking on vodkas and gins and brandies and tequila. And that diversification has never really looked back to this day. We pride ourselves on having this really rich, robust, diverse portfolio that we can pull different brands and different spirit types as consumer tastes are changing. Family dinners must have been wild. Oh, completely. I mean, I could talk for hours just on that. All the family dinners that the phone call would come in from the West Coast and my dad would get up and he'd take the long cord, you know, from the phone that was on the wall and string it across the kitchen so the rest of us could continue our conversations at the dinner table. But yeah, really being constantly understanding what the marketplace wanted. And, you know, that goes on up to our creation of the brand Pama, where we could see that the pomegranate trend in 2005, Palm Wonderful, the juice was everywhere and recognizing, wow, this is more than a fad. You know, maybe we should capitalize on this and then created our brand Pama Pomegranate Liqueur. So nimbleness, I think, is really at the end of the day, what's enabled us to endure for all these years. It sounds like it. I am a third generation insurance company family. Oh, so clearly we're like two peas in a pod. Oh, right, right, right. You know, that's funny you say talk about insurance because one of the things we like to say is that we don't sell encyclopedias. And encyclopedias are maybe um, more similar to insurance than um, distilled spirits, for sure. So it's a lot of fun what we do, which made those family dinners all the more lively, for sure. Well, my family dinners were still lively because we had bourbon and whiskey and all that other fun stuff at the dinner table. So uh-huh. our dinners were plenty lively, I would say, on the topic of like, you know, what does your family do for a living? I, I got to tell you, that was not exciting dinner conversation when I was growing up. Yeah. My dad always says when you're at a dinner party or a reception or whatever, and people say, oh, what do you do? And you say you are in the distilled spirits business. They never just say, oh, okay, how's the weather? It always prompts a follow-up question of interest and curiosity. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Pivoting back to the pomegranate, because I think that that's a good jumping off point, because a lot of your growth, whether it was diversification from your father into vodkas and gins and tequilas. A lot of this has come from product innovation, both organically and inorganically. So how do you think about the idea of build versus buy, especially given combination of the heritage and being true to the brand and the authenticity you just spoke about? Great question. I would say that we are constantly looking at a lens of both, and it's a combination of science and art. We, like many other companies, have a whole fancy decision tree that we might go through. We're seeing that there's an emerging opportunity to help us help inform whether we're going to buy versus versus build. And, you know, innovation is a tough space in the world, right, for any company. And so through tried and trial and error, really, where we are today in our innovation strategy is Creating new to the world brands in particular is really tough. You know, we were really successful with Pama, Pomegranate, Liqueur, but we've had a few misses along the way too. And so where we really have netted out today in 2021 from an innovation perspective is we really focus on 
internal innovation in terms of line extensions and new expressions on our portfolio, and then some new to the world things within our bourbon space. Because bourbon, as you were alluding to, is really where our super, super deep, deep, deep place of authenticity and knowledge is. So we feel like we have a leg up in creating those new to the world brands. But in other categories that we're not in currently, those would be more places where we would tend to buy. So for example, we were not in the premium vodka space. So we bought Deep Eddie Vodka six years ago. We weren't in the Canadian whiskey space at all. And so we bought Black Velvet Canadian Whiskey, which came with an an amazing distillery. So we weren't going to go build a whole Canadian whiskey distillery. The the investment and the risk associated with that would have been beyond our tolerance, really. Um, So that helps inform whether we're going to buy or, or innovate internally. Both, though, have been incredibly important as we have grown. You know, since 2004, I think we have a statistic that well over 50% of our revenue today, it comes from brands that did not exist in 2004. So continuing to, to look for ways to enhance our portfolio is a very important part of our strategy. I love that about the company. It's just how you're on the offense. The subject of risk, the last time you and I caught up, you actually made a very provocative point to me that no one has ever really spoken about. And I wanted to bring it up on the show. You know, there's been such a disruption in the customer in terms of how they discover spirits, how they're choosing to buy spirits, how they get them fulfilled in this pandemic, post-pandemic world. And I was talking to you about digital commerce, last mile delivery. And you brought up this point to me that companies like Heaven Hill have to figure out how to navigate delivery in digital commerce and last mile delivery responsibly. Can you talk more about this? Absolutely. So, you know, after prohibition, prohibition got to end because there was going to be an industry that was single-mindedly focused on responsibility and bringing this adult beverage product to consumers, knowing it is a way to enhance the enjoyment of life only if it is done responsibly, right? And we in the industry really do a fantastic job of self-policing one another to abide by those guidelines of responsibility, obviously. So consumers only above the legal drinking age are buying and drinking our brands as well as um, not an overconsumption. So yeah, the e-commerce space has been some challenges because the vast majority of things that we all get delivered to our houses get dropped on the front step, right? And that's not going to be such a great concept when we are delivering a controlled alcohol beverage that needs to get into the hands of a legal consumer. No doubt the spirits industry is behind the vast majority of other consumer packaged goods for that very reason. You know, it's super different than buying your peanut butter or cosmetics or diapers or whatever else we're we're buying in specialty or in mass in bulk, both of which clearly convenience and variety and all those other things that are driving why people want to buy things online. Absolutely. We have been in the digital advertising and promotion space for a very long time. And even within that, there's lots of guidelines on how we make sure we're reaching the right audiences. For example, the distilled spirits industry is really not participating in TikTok 
even though so many consumers are migrating there because there's not proper age gating in that platform versus in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Those have much more validated ways to ensure that our messaging is going to the right audiences. So yes, we have found a way to 100%. The industry is all in in terms of how to communicate with consumers in the digital space. But the selling is a little bit more tricky, right? And we're making good progress in that last mile delivery with the Drizzlies and the Instacarts because those companies are setting themselves up in a very legal three-tier system fashion where they are picking up at a retailer and driving it to your house and hopefully knocking on your door, ringing your doorbell and making sure the person who in fact ordered it is of legal drinking age. Now, where it gets tricky is in the direct-to-consumer part of e-commerce where it's shipping over state lines. Still today, there are also only 11 states that allow distilled spirits to be mailed across state lines. So if here in Kentucky, I wanted to ship something to somebody in Florida, no can do. I cannot do that. That is against the law. And there are companies that are figuring out some, in their minds, arm's length ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky. It's tricky. And, you know, we'd like to think that the consumer will prevail in the world, but we have to find a way to do it responsibly. And that aspect is a little less about the responsibility and the taxes that get collected on distilled spirits. And one, you know, it's very profitable for a state, the taxes that get collected in the commerce of distilled spirits. So one state may not want to give it up to another state and who owes the taxes and and things like that. The industry has a lot of work yet to be done before we are seeing ordering of product in a mass fashion in the e-commerce channel. As I said, I do think it's going to emerge much faster in the ordering online from your local liquor store and it being delivered to your house in the next hour. I think we're getting much closer to that space Mm. than truly being able to use e-commerce to find those rare special things that you want to get, you know, and they're far away and you want, you can't get all the way to Kentucky in our case with bourbons. That is still a little trickier. And not to mention, there's so much demand for bourbon. You know, we're selling all of our bourbon through traditional means. And it is tough on the consumer because that means you have to like go to your store or come here to Kentucky to one of our amazing visitor center experiences. But we all wish we had more bourbon. Don't we all? Yeah. That's a, a space that's going to need a little bit more love and care before distilled spirits can really take advantage of the world of full e-commerce. Before we go to our final question, a branding question for you. The word responsibility and responsibly has really come up a lot. And so my question for you is how come you don't have a spirit called responsibly? Uh, Say drink responsibly. And then like, it's the best branding ever. Well, that would be an interesting idea. I'll have to for sure take it to our team. I give my husband credit on that one. He has always said we need a brand called responsibly. And I just feel like you basically, you are conquesting every other spirits brand. If you did that, think about it. Everybody right says drink responsibly. I'm like, oh, well, we, we have that. That's right. That's right. We'll take that to the branding team. That would certainly be a much better idea than I remember seeing the, the vodka brand that launched in a bottle that was shaped like a gun. <laughs> that would be the opposite of that product. Okay. That was super no bueno. Yeah, that was no good. Well, Kate, your family has done so many brave things, but I'm curious, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? I would have to say the bravest thing that I ever 
did was when my daughter was born in 2003, I had intended, I was here working at Heaven Hill. I'd only been here for two years, not quite two years. I had intended to take a nice long maternity leave and I only worked part-time when my kids were little. I was on maternity leave and the woman who was running marketing, I didn't, I wasn't in charge of the whole marketing team, which was a lot smaller than to be clear, but I wasn't in charge of the whole team. I had kind of a staff role. I got the call that she was leaving the company. The natural choice or concept was to put me in charge of the marketing team. And while I'd come, I'd had, you know, a long experience at Procter & Gamble, knew a lot about consumer marketing, building brands and brand strategy. This was a big deal. I was, in my mind, woefully unprepared to actually take over the whole leadership of this team. I did. I did. It was pretty brave. And I remember the parts of it that I was most worried about were like how to actually run the business. You know, when I was at Procter & Gamble, you didn't have to actually pay any bills. You know, there was a million people running around and, and figuring out how to do that. There was no writing of purchase orders or there was no like vetting of new agencies. Like you just got given your agencies, right? So there was a lot I had never done. And it was a real lean in moment for me, for sure. And I was actually on the Peloton this morning, taking a class by Robin Arzon, who's like one of my idols. And she talked about in taking risks and being bold. You're never like you, you need to lean in before you think you're really ready. Because if you wait until you're really ready, you're missing out. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like what I did back then. Was it a hit in Hills class? It was not Hidden Hills class. That's way too intense for me. No, it was the Beyonce ride. It was the Beyonce ride. Okay, love it, love it. I've done that. Yeah, so she, you know, she talks about it's okay to be nervous and feel like you're not ready, but that means you are ready. If you're even contemplating, am I ready? It probably means you are. And I think that that's an important message for people as we think about growing our own careers, relationships, friendships, romances whatever it might be. Because if you're really sure, you're probably have already missed out. Well, thank you, Kate and Robin for that inspiration. Absolutely. It's been amazing to partner with you guys and just see how relevant this third generation family owned business is. And uh, we look forward to all that's to come. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. 
Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.